Welcome to the Pastor's Roundtable, the podcast where we pull apart and deconstruct the habits, routines, and tactics of great men and women of the faith. I hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to another episode of the Pastor's Roundtable. I'm your host, Ryan Latham, and this episode is brought to you by Anchor FM. If you've thought about starting a podcast, maybe some people have even suggested that you should start a podcast, I would encourage you to take a look at Anchor FM. Their online tools make it super easy to get started, to edit, and to publish your podcast in a professional way, and you don't have to have any experience to get started. It's totally free. Take a look at Anchor FM. All right, welcome to another episode of the Pastors Roundtable. I'm your host, Ryan Latham, and I'm here with my good friend, Corey Dimmel, who is the lead pastor of Cape Christian, and we're going to be talking about uh, leadership and church development, all kinds of stuff. So Corey and I have been friends for about 12 years. He was the youth pastor. He was the master's commission director, associate pastor, pretty much almost every role. I'm sure he did like janitor stuff as well. Yeah. Well, I rounded out my time as the interim children's pastor for the last eight months. (laughs) For real. That's how I ended my time at Bellevue. Okay. So you were at Bellevue for how many years? Uh, 15 and a half years. I came for an internship uh, for one year, which led to staff position the next year and 15 and a half years later, I'm still there. Wow. Okay. And then you have moved to Florida where you're the lead pastor now and how long you've been here? So I accepted the position about almost exactly two years ago this time. So there was about three months where I would fly back and forth, do some training and preaching and then go back kind of in the transition and then full-time moved here in January. So I've been here about a year and nine months. And we just met with all your vol- a bunch of your volunteers yep. today. Met with your staff yesterday, yep. and uh, just incredible growth. Uh, I know you don't want to talk about numbers. You don't want to talk about all of that stuff. So just don't talk about the bigger number, but just the growth over the last couple of years. Even before you got yep. here, the church was just growing immensely, and you've just kind of put gas on that. And so just what what are we walking into in terms of numbers, yeah. growth? All no, that's good. Stuff? About three and a half years ago or so, the church was kind of in a tough spot. There were some things that had happened and project that finished and people were just tired. And so there was kind of a decline. They brought in the guy before me and he really helped people understand this was a church, change some things, um, leverage the park, which we'll talk about in a minute. Yep. Um, really saw some growth and then um, coming in. So we all pretty much doubled it in the two years he was there. And we've almost doubled again in the last year and nine months. So, I mean, in the last three and a half years, the churches went from about 1,200 to 3,500. Yeah. So that's, you know, 2,000, 2,500 people developed. And so uh, I know we're kind of jumping ahead already, but uh, I mean, just tremendous growth equals lots of change and building projects and all kinds of stuff. So before we jump into all of that, I, I just want to ask you, is there any like football team or anything that you tend to cheer for or you know kind of root for? Yeah, there's there's one I root for and two or three I really root against. Uh, no, I mean, I'm a Nebraska boy true, through and through. Um, I mean, grew up in Nebraska. I, honestly, I was that kid. We, it was simple times. It was the 80s. My parents had just gotten saved. So it was like we were either at church or talking about Nebraska football. So, bro, like I can talk about the Bible in church or I can talk about Nebraska football, which led to college football. So, I mean, it's go big red, you know, like I love Nebraska and I probably hate some teams that we didn't like throughout the years. But you're from Oklahoma. We don't hate the Sooners. We miss that rivalry. There's some other foes. Colorado. Um, that or Texas. Or te- Texas, which today's the Red River, Red River the rivalry. The recording is OU the, Texas. OU Texas. So. And I know they can't do it in Oklahoma, but I'll do it right here. Down horns. <laughs> Down horns. This is for all you players that your athletic director is like, hey, don't do it. We got you. Your Husker brothers got you. <laughs> yeah. For those of you guys listening, he did just give the down horns. Yeah, so. absolutely. Yeah. And I've taken you to experience the, so, the, so the, the cathedral of Memorial Stadium. <laughs> so let's talk about this. Yeah. Because so, this is an iconic moment in our relationship. And the history of 126 years of Nebraska football. Of, but yeah. So let's talk about probably arguably one of, if not the greatest moment of Nebraska football history, 
what, let's talk about that. One of the greatest moments in Memorial Stadium because okay, we did Memorial. win five national championships. Okay. Those are pretty good moments. I'll give you. So I think it was 2013. We figured out. I think so. You were out speaking, doing some stuff, leadership with my youth group, and I'm not going to bring my boy out who loves college football. Yep. Trojan fan, cool. Good on you. Um, and I got to take you to share like what's the thing we're the most proud of Nebraska football. So we went to this game, great experience, tailgated. My brother wouldn't let you in the stadium without a sweatshirt, so we we bought you gear. Which, uh, by the way, is like the most comfortable hoodie I've ever had in my life. Yeah, it was that was a nice one, nice one. So you're wearing the Rock and the Husker year. We play Northwestern, who we just joined the Big Ten a couple years before. Northwestern's always like that pesky team that's there. So we're down, I think four or something like that. Uh, and it's, so we have one play to go, and yep. our starting quarterback's hurt. So we got the backup in. We throw this hail mary, sixty yards. Gets tipped in the air. Jordan Westerkamp catches it. Hail Mary. We win the game. The place literally goes bananas. We're freaking out, going crazy. And I think just if I remember right, just as a college football fan, you're like totally in the moment. Well, you have to. You're like I just witnessed a like live Hail Mary. Now, now of course I did not understand the historical significance, but I mean I do understand. The first time in the history of the first and only time in the history of our program over 125 years that we won the game on the last play with a Hail Mary. Yeah. Like so, it's like it literally is historic. Yeah, and how long, how often does that hail mary work? Not yeah. not very often. Uh, not very often. So, so it worked that day. And so. you were there, so like we're I was there. tied. You're etched into history. <laughs> and so we think, have Jesus and Nebraska football together. Like we're <laughs> we're boys for life. Yeah, I think so. So I think every time uh, Corey introduces me to somebody, that is what what is what. And I often wear the Nebraska jersey in the gym or somewhere, and people like come out thinking that I'm this huge fan, and I always disappoint them as. Okay, here's the story. Right, so but go, it's a great story. It is a great story. It is a great well, story. Well, it would be one thing too if I was like, oh, I have a, you know, I brought you to a game. I wouldn't introduce you. Like, oh, I took him to a game one time. Yeah, yeah. But I'm like, this is the guy who was at the Hail Mary game, and they're all like, no everybody way, knows. you were the, like, you're like, you're one of us now. Yeah, everybody knows. Okay, so let's talk about that. So you grew up in Nebraska. Yep. And you intern yep. at at one church. Yep. And then they bring you on staff. Yep. And what, you said 15 years later? 15 and a half years. So I came to do an internship at Bellevue Christian Center, left college, but knew I was called to ministry, and um, and worked as an intern, not really knowing. And it was really, to be honest, the story's pretty crazy because I was about to finish my senior year of college, and God kind of gave me this With opportunity. With an education Edu- Yeah, I was going to be teaching and coaching. I already had my coaching endorsement. I was coaching, cl- and I already had potential teaching gigs lined up about a year from graduating college. And ran into a guy in the summer that I'd known. And it, the, the really short version is God kind of had this drop your nets and follow me. And so I left college my senior year with pretty killer resume, pretty good opportunities, was doing really well in school to go be an intern at a church that I'd never been to. And I didn't know anybody other than the youth pastor who, who was just somebody I felt fortunate to sit under and learn from. And it was in hindsight exactly who I needed to be under. So I, I went there for one year thinking I might get married. I was dating a girl at the time. I might come back to college. It was going to be a kind of a one and done deal. So, so that leads me into longevity. Yeah. Right. Longevity is kind of a buzzword yeah. these days. Oh, right? big time. I mean, it probably has been for a long time, but I, I think that everybody, at least that I talk to talks about longevity. Yep. And I think that the goal, there's very few people that I know that can say, well, I think I'm gonna go there for two or three years. Right. And pretty much everyone I talk to is like, man, my goal is to be there long term. This, this is going to be our last gig. We want to retire here. It, yeah. Right. Yeah. So, Let's talk about longevity because you have experienced mm-hmm. it. You did it. Yep. And uh, I mean, you won't talk about it, so I'll talk about it for you. But but Corey was given lots of opportunities, mm-hmm. lots more glitterous, yeah. glamorous, yeah. What, you know, whatever. And, and and you continually, time after time, turn those down and say, yep. no, I'm committed here. This is where I'm at. So talk about the benefits of the longevity and what was it that kept you there? It's a good question. That's that's actually a great question. I think it's a it is an important question for me because it's a big part of what shaped me and what was already in me, and then what shaped me more. Um, I think uh, part of it f- for me was understanding after my internship, I had opportunity to come on part time staff. I saw something in ministry I'd never seen before. I'd heard this buzzword discipleship my whole life, but up to that point, discipleship meant Sunday school, and I'm not knocking that idea because there's a lot of good things that come out of that. But I saw getting into lives like going into people's lives and worlds and and bringing Christ to them and then developing them. And I was like, man, there's just, this is what I've kind of been missing. And there's so much to this I want to learn. And so I was offered an opportunity to be a part, on staff, which I was working with our discipleship program or leadership college called master's commission at the time. And as well as the youth ministry. And, um, 
so for me, it was huge for my development. And then the fact that I was going to get paid like a thousand dollars a month to do ministry, I'm like, I'm the richest man ever. I just came out of an internship and now they're paying me to do this. Um, so that was cool. Um, and, uh, and I would just, and we were doing school assemblies at the time. So we were getting, I was trained as a communicator at public schools, which I think is important because with all my defects and my issues still, like you can't suck at public schools. Like at church, they clap and they say, God bless your heart. And you still get an honorarium at a school. They'll just stop listening and boo you, throw stuff at you. And so I'm so glad I got that under a guy who was probably as good of a youth communicator as there is in the country who really shaped us, but also learned that it wasn't just about communicating, but it was a lot of off the stage. It was setting us up with great follow-up and conversations with these kids off. So we got to do that. Um, and just kind of fell in love with that. And then in the meantime, gained more leadership in the discipleship program. And that's where I really felt like I found what I was born to do, which is develop people, disciple people, um, this whole discipleship program thing. I'm like, man, I, lo- like, I love this. And so that led to the opportunity for me to run that program, which I got to do for just four years. I, Me and my wife only ran our discipleship leadership college. We weren't that and the children's pastor, that and the youth pastor. And I just learned a ton about leadership. Uh, and then so after four years of doing that, then I became the youth pastor where I was still running the leadership college. But, um, at that point I had interns and staff who had been with me. And so I had learned just enough, you know, I'm about 30 at this time. And so I'm, I've learned to train, develop and send out. And so I knew it didn't have to be me, but I was just empowering guys and gals I had poured into my wife had poured into. So, um, so for me, I, I have, I'd always seen my dad owned a business, but was also in ministry and I've seen the hop around. I want to get back to your question and that just never appealed to me there there's a million reasons why that happens. And sometimes often it's beyond circumstances beyond your control. But I just kind of always had this like even kind of prayer of like, God, I I, I want to be able to like re- establish some roots uh, and and get some things done. And I, I, I get some things accomplished. I believe in as much as you can control really kind of starting what you finish. Um, one of the, one of the uh, principles that I was taught in young and leadership was the grass is the greenest where you water it. We both were taught that same, same, we were from the same pipeline, you know? Um, and so for me, it was, I didn't get too much with the glitz and glamor, Uh, you know, I I didn't, you know, often the grass is greener on the other side. And so I wanted to establish myself. I I loved what I was doing. And and I think that by the grace of God, one of the, maybe one of the strengths that, that, that God had put in me even before then. And in that point was just a teachability and a coachability and not, not, I didn't need to be under the best coach. I would learn from anybody. And so I just, I really loved learning while I led if that makes sense and growing while I discipled. And so I think for me, there was an appeal to the, you asked, what's the benefit? The longer I got to do some things in the same community, the more credibility and trust I earned in my church, but I also earned it in my community community. My, the year I handed the youth ministry off to my assistant who was in my master's commission. Awesome dude. He's awesome. Richard, you know, Richard, um, the principal of the school across the street had him and I ask us into his office and said, the test scores are down. There's tons of pressure to parents. What do you, what should, what do I do? Right. Like he just kind of vented to us like the principal. Why? Cause we had been eating lunch at that school for 10 or 12 years and we didn't push the religious agenda. We played by their rules. Yeah. They knew what we were there for, but you know, there were other religious groups and churches that had come in and kind of invited and we would pull out, yeah. but they just, we, we were, we would work concession stands. They had kids that were in trouble or on drugs that would come into our youth group, get saved. Yeah. Not that we were the answer, but there's, I wish more people in ministry, Ryan, really understood the opportunities that are afforded if you'll pay your dues yeah. and establish some credibility. Trust is not built overnight. Yeah. Uh, so we got to do that, which le- even that led to, my time as an associate, kind of an executive ministry development pastor, same thing, more opportunities now with executive pastors and lead pastors in our whole city. Cause there was a pretty cool city movement happening in Omaha, um, where I just got to be at a couple tables that was, that earned me the right that I, that I was going to stay, I wasn't going to go anywhere. And we had been through some ups and downs. And so again, you can't always control that. But for me, what you say there's longevity, but really what I, what I did when I look back at my time is, um, I took something, built it to the best I could, developed people along the way, and then I gave it away. Yeah. In fact, I, the first thing I had was a small group. I trained up a small group leader and gave them the small group. Then I was entrusted to a discipleship program, and I had that for four or five years, yeah. and then I gave that away to two guys that came underneath me. And then I was given a youth group, trained up some guys. The guy who took over after me was my assistant youth pastor. Yeah. And then even in my time as an executive pastor or ministry development, I was helping other leaders develop leaders and ministries and ended up finishing my stint because our kids director got an awesome opportunity to teach at a school. I stepped in, but I, this church needed me here before I came. My church was ready to release me, but, uh, but to be honest, I said, I can't leave until there's some things settled. And so I think part of it for me was just 
faithfulness. If I could boil it down to a word is, is we've heard it said that faithfulness is the currency of, of heaven, but we're going to get to heaven and Jesus isn't going to say, well done, good and talented servant, well done, good. And you got a lot of opportunities under your belt servant, but just faithful. And, and again, sometimes faithful does look like two and a half years because there's situations beyond your control. Absolutely. But sometimes faithfulness is I just wanted to be faithful with whatever I was given, whether it was video announcements as an intern a youth ministry that was growing or leadership of leaders as a church with small groups. And I felt like part of what, part of what let me be there for 15 years is I didn't do the same thing for 15 years. I had five or six positions where I was able to continue to push my ceiling up and then entrust somebody else that I developed. And, and if I, that, that requires a kingdom perspective with, I believe some also emotional health and security where I didn't need to be needed in my early twenties, probably around close to when we met, I needed to be needed. I needed to be the guy. Well, the true story without me getting into it is the Holy Spirit took me to the woodshed, like woodshed for about 18 months. It was gnarly. It was terrible and brilliant. But like there was a lot of unhealth and needies in me that, that the Holy Spirit worked out. So I got to the point where I just wanted the youth ministry to be good and develop people. I didn't need to be a guy on stage or a guy on Instagram or whatever. We didn't have Instagram back when you and I were youth (laughs) pastors at all. Um, So I just wanted to be faithful with the opportunity I was afforded. And for me, it was grow it, and, and and maintain it or give it away to somebody who had, that became their new dream. And there's not, there's, there's few, there are few joys in the world, like building something up and then giving it to somebody who's always been their dream to have it. Like, it's awesome. And then the fear is like, well, I'm out of a job. Well, my church just kept saying, well, now let's have you do this or let's create a position. We yeah. created a position because yeah. they didn't, because they saw I'm developing leaders. I'm a team player. Um, and, and I, I don't, I want to be on the team. I just don't need to do this job. So that's really what led to 15 and a half years. Yeah. Um, and, and I think it, I think it doesn't happen. If I could be honest, you ask, you know, why it doesn't happen more when there are sometimes I think things are in our control and I think we just get um, impatient or antsy. And we see all the other stuff. Again, one of the downfalls of social media can be we see everybody else's highlight reel. It looks like everybody else's ministry in life is crushing it because they got the one moment of the one thing. And it's like, oh, they do that every week. No, they got that one moment out of 365 days, 24 hours every day. And and I think there are times that that even when I look back, there were some things that God needed there to be some not awesome seasons where he developed some things in me in a desert or a time when things weren't growing that you don't get to experience if you don't stay long enough to actually go through different cycles and seasons of ministry, which that just requires time. So I don't know if that kind of answers your question. Yeah. And I've been to your ministry a few times. And one thing I would say that a huge, huge, you know, part of what the longevity offers is there's so many people that you've ministered to worked with led that there's like this multi-generational thing where it's, it's, there's handing off, like you talked about, I raised up somebody and passed it on. Well, there's so many of people that are there that you worked with their, you know, their, their spiritual parents. Right. And, and there's just this yes. longevity, there's yep. generations of like, man, they're so bought. You could ask anybody to do almost anything yep. because it's like, man, I've known Corey for 10 years. Right. He's mentored me. He's all those things. Right. And so there's just that trust that, that, I mean, quite a few of them have moved to Florida here yeah. because of that history. And so what do you, what would you say suggestion uh, to someone who maybe is thinking about transition and thinking, man, should I stay, you know, should I look great what, question? What's, what's your great position? question? Um, cause I had, that was a question I was asking the last three or four years there. Cause I felt some things I was frustrated about some things I was stirring, you know, God, you know, God works when all of us are different. I think if you're thinking about transition, a couple things is first be really honest with yourself about why do I want to transition? I would say a couple of reasons not to transition. Uh, number one is if you're bored, that doesn't mean you need to do something else. It may, it may mean it might, but it also might just be a different seat on the bus or going to your boss and, or your pastor or your direct report and going, hey, um, I feel, I'm feeling a little bit under challenge. I feel like I've grown into something. Is there a weight around that organization that I can carry that you guys haven't entrusted me with? The answer is almost always yes. I would, As a lead pastor, I would freak out if my staff started coming in and asking me that question, and especially if they had earned the trust. The worst reason ever to leave is if you're frustrated. You can't leave frustrated. Because how you exit one season enters another. Now, again, I say that with the caveat of there's always you're never always in control of all things. But there was a time where unhealth, yeah, abuse, misuse, yeah, yeah. But but that's even to me that's a different. If there's unhealth and misuse and abuse, that's more hurt than it even is frustration. If you're getting hurt or taken advantage of, 
you might need to go. But if you're just frustrated, um, because God's probably never going to call you out of a season of frustration. He He's often developing and, and sharpening your, and I know for me, my character, um, there was just something, there were some things that I, I, it was a season that was difficult for me when I became the ministry development pastor. I was kind of a consultant to my church, but it was the first time I didn't have a ministry to lead. And I wasn't lost, but it was a different challenge leading from the middle and, you know, those types of things. And so, um, but I, I had a couple guys say the same thing. You can't leave frustrated. Um, allow God to finish the work that he's doing, or at least get to the point where you, there's some sort of perspective I lacked, or you, you often when you lack where you see what God's doing and he can release you. Um, I think, if, and then I think if you're, if you're looking to transition, why do I want to transition? What is it that is appealing? Is it, is it just the grass is greener or is there, is it, cause it can be the birth of something else that God is stirring in you. Here's what, again, and you know, we're old enough. We've coached a lot of guys. We've mentored a lot of guys and, and we're not, we're not old, but we're not young. Um, almost nobody stays somewhere too long. They usually leave too early. So just knowing that, that we're going to have a propensity and because of the culture we live in to go, man, stick it out. What are you, know, what are you doing? And, and I think there's, there's, I think there's is a grace and a, just a Holy spirit leading to let you know, now's the time. I mean, even I had been, like I said, I had been frustrated and then God spoke very clearly to both me and my wife about a year before we transitioned that your time here is coming to an end. You know, and, and it's interesting because as soon as that happened, the frustration stopped and all of a sudden things started to get more real. So, um, and if God's birthing something in you, I think allow it to really, to really root itself in your heart. And, and I just, I don't know that you have to go make it happen for yourself all the time. I think sometimes we underestimate, um, the hand of God and his providence of going like, I had this whole thing mapped out. Like if you, and here's the reality, man, if I could, if I could say one thing, that's probably my journey is. All the six positions that I got, including this one, I've never interviewed for a position, not even this one. I just was faithful where I was and, and by the hand of God, it led to another conversation. Yeah. I know that's potentially idealist and it doesn't always work that way, but I do think there's something to be said about, like, I never aspired to go, I want this and then I want that and I want this. It was just being yeah. faithful led to the next thing, um, even in the midst of frustration. And so, um, if you're frustrated, if you're frustrated, do everything you can. To try to work that out with whatever reason you well, want. Ask the, I think ask the Lord, what are you doing? Yeah. Yeah. Right? What are you, you doing in me? You talked about, you know, hey, there was a season where you were just going through the ringer. But if you had just given up yep. and transitioned, then you would have missed what God had wanted you to do in that season, right? 100%. Yeah. And again, I didn't love it at the time. But hindsight, there were some very specific things that God was developing in my character and learning as a leadership and even a leader of leaders even in the boardroom and in the staff room that have become invaluable now in this lead pastor chair. Cause I didn't aspire to be a lead pastor. So I was never like, Oh, I'm training to be What's a lead pastor. Steps? I was just being faithful where I was and didn't know what was next. But, but what I didn't know that God did is you're going to need these skills. I'm able to lead a staff meeting on such another level because of some frustration I endured and some things I just, I didn't do well when I was a, a staff pastor that I had my associate, my mentor would call me out on and I was, just, it would frustrate me, but I'm like, man, he's right. Well, there, I, I hear his voice and my pastor's voice going, man, I, I, God was preparing me for something I didn't see coming. Yeah. I think it's goes to the whole, like reap what you sow, right? Yeah. So you talk about, I mean, I think as a lead pastor, you want, I would assume you probably want some of your staff members to stay, even though they're frustrated yeah. to see if they can fight through it. Is it that, is that just a moment that right. you're frustrated and not just built? So like you've sown the seeds of like, Hey, I'm willing to go through those desert seasons. I'm willing to yep. go through that. And so you're, I'm willing to, to execute that. a vision. I maybe don't even fully agree with Yep. because I, at the end of the day, I'm accountable to me serving my pastor. He's accountable to whatever vision God gives him. And so God's not going to hold me accountable for, if he did or didn't miss it, he's going to hold me accountable. Like I just called you to like help raise this guy's arms, but you like were constantly dragging yep. him down. Yep. And that was, you know, I think there's, there, that's a big part of it. So you've transitioned into lead pastoring. Yep. Um, what are some things that uh, have surprised you about being lead pastor? So to be honest, I, I don't know that there's been a lot that has surprised me, but I, I think I have a, a decent answer to this because I was at one church for 16 years, held about six or seven different positions or roles. I really did see the odds and ends. And you know, when you run a leadership college or discipleship program, you are the janitor and the kids team and the youth team. So you, it's great exposure to how ministry you're the missions team. You're the outreach guys. You move the chairs. Um, so I don't know that there was anything that was surprising. And I'm going to quote what, what uh, my pastor said to me is, is he was in a similar situation. He came up under Sam Mayo, Sam and Jeannie. Mm -hmm. So I got to kind of fall into that lineage, uh, in Bellevue, Jeannie, when they were in Nebraska, before they went to Rockford. Um, 
And he said, by the when the church chose him, he said there wasn't much he hadn't done. He had led worship, been the junior high pastor, all that. He said, so there wasn't a lot of practical surprises. He said, but nothing could have prepared me for the spiritual, psychological, and mental weight that I was going to carry. And he said that to me when he knew I was taking this position. He said, I don't know there's much you haven't experienced. There's always going to be a few things, he said, but I don't know. He goes, there's just a weight you carry in this seat that I can't even explain to you and I can't prepare you for until you're in the chair. And we had coffee six months later, five months later, I'm back and I'm like, you were right. And I think even when he was saying it, I'm like, I think I get that. I just don't know what you mean. Yeah. So if that, if that's would be my answers, I don't know that there were a lot of surprises again, because I allowed myself to be in ministry and there was some longevity, but I think it was just, I got to the, the weight is real. I, I think about things and carry a weight now that I didn't even as a number two or a number three, when I was still actually, I was executing more of them in my previous role, but ultimately it falls on me. I mean, just for example, like today you stood up in front of a couple hundred of your volunteers and said, guys, we're building, we're building, we're going to raise millions of dollars. We need some of you to not come to the 1030 service because we got four other services like that stuff weighs on you. And, 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 it, and as a youth pastor, you're not really you're like whatevs yeah. our youth, our youth ministry rocks. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. But yeah. As a pastor, you go home and you're seeing multi-millions of dollars. Yeah. That's on me. Yeah. I've just cast this vision. Did we hire the right company? Are we going to be able to raise the money? Is this the right decision? Craig Rochelle said we should have 97 services before we, you know, build, <laughs> we only have five, you know what I mean? Like all that stuff, it does, it just weighs on you. Yeah. So you've experienced tremendous growth. Yeah. Like by the grace and hand of God, man. Yeah. Tremendous growth. So what are some things that you've done leading your staff, good, bad, ugly? Yeah. What are some of the staff development things that you've done leading them through change? So thank you for asking. And I would say this, um, I'm just very aware that I came from a really good leadership DNA. So I don't know that I'm anything special or I have some skills and gifts that others don't. I do think I'm a sponge maybe more than some. And I just absorbed for 15 and a half years and I came under great leadership, high character, high level. Um, and I, and, and then here's the other thing I joke with people. I said, I'm just crazy enough to believe the smartest people, Peter Drucker, Jim Collins, Patrick Lincioni, Craig Rochelle, Andy Stanley, you know, Carrie Newoff. I'm just crazy enough to believe that they know what they're saying. And so I actually implement it. So leading through change, probably my favorite leadership quote of all time. And, and one I probably hang my hat on is that, uh, when I think it was Peter Drucker that said culture eats strategy for breakfast. And that's, that's just my, my MO for leadership is culture, 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 culture development. And I really believe that I th I've seen churches and businesses focus on strategy and it still stinks because, uh, it's the difference between Chick-fil-A and Burger King. Both have the same strategy. They have very different cultures. The strategy is fast food, affordable, but the culture at Chick-fil-A and the type of person that works at Chick-fil-A is very different than the culture and the type of person that works at Burger King. So what are some things you're doing to implement that? So that? great question. So when I came here, I'd say the strategy and the systems were, were, were pretty solid. Um, there's always tweaks, but they were keeping up with the growth. Um, I don't know that culture had been a focus. And so, dude, I went all in on culture, all in. So in fact, we had for the first year, every single week, I had my team come in and we would spend, I would do 25 to 40 minutes of leadership teaching, culture, discipleship every single week with my team because they had to have my heart. There were just some things, there were some, um, there was some toxicity in some areas. There was some lack of trust in some areas and they, and rightfully so for some of those things. But I mean, I just went all in on culture and man, I, I just, it's, it was fun because I've always been convinced this is what to do, but I've never been in the position to do it. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to ride or die with this. This is either Israel, like these guys are right or they're not. And, and I believe they're right. And so, um, we just, I mean, it was everything I ever learned from Mike and Gary and hook and Jeannie and cadre and all the youth leader cohorts we were a part of and every catalyst I watched and every YouTube video I watched and every book I read, I'm like, let's just give it all to them. And, and so the biggest thing we, is we really infuse culture in the staff. The staff was previously connected to the leader, but they weren't connected to each other, which means there wasn't a team, huge team atmosphere. There wasn't a, a ton of trust across the board. Um, and, and as a leader, guy, I had a blast doing it. Yeah. So that was big. We would do every single week leadership teachings. And then I would have, you know, pastoral meetings and we'd have team meetings. We restructured our, our meeting structure four different times in the first year. Yeah. Yeah. Also talk about you guys, you came in, you really wanted to uh, add a spiritual component to oh, the, yes. the, the staff development. So talk about staff development. Yeah. So actually the first decision I ever made and implemented even before I was here is one of the things that I took away from being at Bellevue for 15 and a half years is every morning when we would come in, one of the few kind of practical expectations was, is that we would go into the worship center, 
the, the sanctuary, the worship would be playing, and it was just time with you and God. Time with God was a non-negotiable. Um, in ministry, it's easy to talk about God a lot and become his employees and servants, but not his kids. And so um, pastor would just say 830 to 930. He would, he would regularly remind us, hey, um, I know there's emails, there's meetings. I'm asking you to block that out. Nothing's more important than your relationship with God. Nothing's more important than your personal relationship with God. Nothing is more important than your personal relationship with God. And I'm going to guess that there's going to be some leaders that watch this this week or whenever you watch this, that the Holy Spirit's going to use this podcast just for that, that nothing is more important than your personal relationship with God. And so we'd have prayer time. Um, and so for 15 and a half years, I prayed for an hour every day. Now, again, he wasn't religious you know, about it where I was like, hey, something came up or you were sick or you did this guy could only meet for breakfast, whatever. Um, but... I just took that with me and I, I got so much out of that. And so I implemented that here. And now for us, we do a half hour. And so we call it first 30. We have a lot of part-time staff. So my expectation I said is I want your first 30 minutes prayer devotion. We're going to, we're going to create an atmosphere. It's not corporate worship. We're just going to create an atmosphere, but you can journal, you can read, you can do devotional, but I want you spending time with God for a lot of them. Admittedly, they said, this is the first time I've really had an active, regular relationship with God. It was a, honestly, it was the best decision I could have made because that set the table for everything else. But even talk about that. So first 30, it's called first 30 for a reason, because even part-time guys that come yep. in, maybe at so noon. we call it, yep. We call it first 30 because not everybody comes in at eight 30. What was nine? So we say come in at eight 30 and, and I tell them, I'm like, I'm going to pay you to pray. I'm paying you to pray yeah. because you can't afford not to have God. So, but we have part-timers that come in a couple of days a week or they'll come in at noon. Some of our tech people work like noon to nine or whatever. So we said, I don't care if you come in at eight or if you come in at noon, I want your first 30. I want us to get in the regular. It's a, it's a daily tithe of our time with God. I want us to be in the regular, uh, just the regular habit of spending time with God. I want it to be a discipline. And, and you know, there's argument like, well, they should do that on their own or shouldn't they be strong enough? Like, yeah, I wish we were. Most of us aren't. So, and, and we can't afford not to. And I really believe, honestly, man, and you know this because you've had the same thing. I really believe that has led to a lot of the culture health we've had, uh, the onboarding, some of this, the leadership stuff we've done, some of the growth. And just when you have a staff that we spend time with God every morning, and sometimes it's personal, sometimes we're praying for families in the church, sometimes we're praying for each other. It, it, I believe that God can honor and bless that. I really, really do. And so they come in and that's been, um, I think that's just been one of the, the best things we've done. And I've introduced some of my other friends who are pastors. I've introduced it to them. And some of them are like, oh, we should do that. Some have done it. Some are like, that sounds awesome. How do you go to that? And I just, for me, it's a non-negotiable. And I don't know that it would have been non-negotiable had I not been in that environment for 15, 16 years where I was like, because there were days we came in and we half fell asleep or weren't into it, read a verse, checked Facebook. Absolutely. Like we did not like execute that awesome. But when you do that long, long term over 15 years, like that's like, probably kind of close to the mountaintop experience of 40 days on the mountain with God. And it's like, can't afford not to. And that's just what I want. I want our team to understand we can't afford not to do this. And it helped me from the beginning. I helped me to communicate to my team. And this is so important. If you're in an executive leadership role, I think that I care more about you and who you are in your soul than what you produce for me. Yep. Because most people have a performance mentality anyway with God. And that's only emphasized by leadership or authorities. And so I wanted them to know like your relationship with God is actually more important to me than what you produce. Of course, I'm paying you to do a job, yep. but like, I care about your soul. I care about your relationship with God. And I'm willing to invest into that because you matter. It matters. And I think that has paid a lot of dividends on a lot of levels. Yeah. So that's not the only thing that you've restructured. Yeah. When you came here, you guys had Thursday night service. You guys had Sunday Friday night. Oh, Friday night yep. services. Yep. Um, but you guys have restructured some of that. So talk about some of the restructuring of your service time, yep. which then has also trickled into restructuring days at work. Yep. And then we can talk about why with the park yeah, and all and that. Why, yeah. yeah. So when I got here, we had four services, our, our worship center. Um, a, the short version is we'll talk about more in a minute, about four or five years, about five years ago, the church probably could have used to expand, but the church decided rather than build a worship center for us, what if we put a park with a cafe and a splash pad on our campus and gave it to the city? It's probably makes us one of the most unique places I've been. I've never seen anything like it. I don't know that you have either. And so we built a park on our campus, gave it to the city. I mean, gave it to the city, but we pay for everything. And so um, that has just led to more people coming to the park, which is it just it oozes our welcoming, inviting. Everybody's welcome. We want you here. Atmosphere. Yeah, I mean, it's, when we're recording right now, it's a Saturday. Yeah. And right outside. There's probably 150 people out there. Yeah. And, and they're well, and the gazebos, gazebos are all rented out. Yeah. The gazebos, are, what did you say? Rented out to next Birthday year parties, now? quinceanera. Yeah. Our last meeting, we already have them rented out into August and stuff. So, uh, I'm sorry, July and August of next year. And it's October yeah. for birthday parties. And so, so that was awesome. 
uh, one of the a great decision you know they made, and so that again necessitated some of the that brought in growth. So now here we are five years later, and it did what you would hope a park does in, in a community that's more for retirees. So there's not a ton for families and young kids. So it, it's the only splash pad in the city, um, and we're almost two hundred thousand now. So we have people on our campus all the time, every day, every day. Cafes open every day. Um, so that did what you would want it to do, which is grow a church. So by the time I get here, there's four services. There's three on Sunday, one on Friday night. We just experienced growth. We had to make a change. Easter was coming. So we used Easter as a catalyst. We had to move our Friday night service to our Saturday because we knew we had to add a service and, and we had, we've changed service times twice as well to make that work. Um, but we had to make a change. We have a really strong attend one, serve one culture. So we thought to ourselves, if we, if we go Saturday, now we're having a Friday and a Saturday and three Sunday. That's not good. If we do Sunday night, now we have a Friday night, a Sunday and a Sunday night. Those are two spread out. And, um, and, and the issue with the Friday night service was if you came to Friday night, you didn't, or if you served Friday night, you'd have to come back on Sunday to attend. So that man, we need to have a stackable time. And so we moved to two Saturday services. So now we have two Saturday afternoon services and three Sunday services, which the park is packed on Saturday and Sunday. So for us, that's been a win because now we got all these people on our campus. We open the doors, there's music, there's people in all the red sh shirts that are, hello, how can I help here to serve people are going, Hey, what's that all about? So it's brought more people in the doors. Um, and it's, it's again, it's brought some growth, but with that, um, and this is our plan at least until we build and we're probably, you know, a year and a half, two years out from having our new building. Um, it also has made us rethink how to structure a week because now we do five live services every weekend. Wow. My worship team does five services. We have a volunteer teams for five services, kids teams, for five, I preach five live. Um, and so for us, we decided what if, how can we make this sustainable where we don't kill everybody until we get a new building? So we thought, what if we make, what if we make Saturday an optional work day? where instead of just come in for service, cause I have a lot of friends who Saturday is their day off, but they have to come in by three or four for the night service or whatever. So what if we make it to anybody who wants an optional work day? So for me, it's like a, it's like an 11 to eight work day. But if you work Saturday and you work Sunday, now we've kind of restructured our office structure is we're a Wednesday through Sunday. And you can now have the ability to take Monday and Tuesday off. I've never in ministry in 16 years had two days off in a row where I ever even had the option to go away, spend the night somewhere. For example, we're two and a half hours from Disney now. My daughter's almost nine. Yeah. So now I can go to Orlando, spend the night, do Disney, come back, and not be like, well, I have to work at 8.30 in the morning. So a lot of our team takes Monday and Tuesday off and then works Wednesday through Sunday. And we we do now a lot of our meetings on Thursday. Um, we do our service run-through on Friday, so we're ready to execute on Saturday. And now we have a children's pastor and a youth pastor and team that's here on a Saturday where there's 200 people on our campus because of the park. So my youth pastor can go play basketball with the, the high school guys that are playing ball or the youth, pa the children's pastor can walk around, meet people, hand out ice cream samples and just invite them to service or whatever. Um, so we've really rethought that and go, man, I think that's sustainable to go to do this five, you know, and the reality is if we grow up, if we grow much more, we may be looking at a sixth service. Yeah. So we got to give, we got to let our people be energized on the weekend, not burn out. Yeah. Now we still have some office staff that come in, do counting and answer emails and phones and we're open. We have a care department on call, but that's worked really, really well. And again, it just, it's rethinking how we do. Uh, we have a unique situation with a park. We have weekend services and, uh, you know, as a big college football guy, I was the last one on board with Saturdays, oh, I bet. bro. I mean, they had to convince me. I'm like, well, I need a, I need a TV where I can watch college football in between yeah. services. And my yeah. executive pastor hung one up the next week. So, that's awesome. so that, that was, it necessitated some of those changes, but it's made it, it's made it good because now, now all of a sudden Sunday I'm done two o'clock, three o'clock, whatever. And it's like, Hey, I'll see you on Thursday. Cause for me now I've taken also Wednesday as my, um, out of the office sermon prep day. So I have Monday's a day off, Tuesday's a day off, Wednesday's a sermon prep day, which gives me some flexibility to move those with family stuff if I want as well. Is that kind of what you were looking yeah, absolutely, for? Absolutely. Absolutely. And talk about, you know, tomorrow, I think, I think it's tomorrow you guys are, you're taking your staff. Yep. And you guys are going away for yep. a couple of days. An, an offsite. So again, one of the first things I did when I got here is I, I just felt like we needed real clarity. Again, I've just listened to everything that Andy Stanley and Patrick Lincioni and all those guys said. Is I, we needed clarity. We need to declare who we are and how do we make decisions. And so we spent four offsite days with the executive team. I created an executive team. And we just went through Patrick Lincioni's book, The Advantage. We literally went through it. We didn't change it. We didn't hybrid it like I've seen other people do. There's a reason Patrick makes the money he makes and consults the business. Like it works. So we're like, this is the leadership Bible. We're going to stick to it. 
So we out of that, we carved out, we made our playbook, we carved out the who does what, what's important now. We carved out our team code. We did the work. And so um, that has been huge for us because now we have 10 things that are our team code and we have 12 things that are our church code and everybody knows them and it's how we make decisions. And it lets you know if this is your kind of church or the kind of team you want to be on. And it just brings so much clarity and it gives us such great parameters to make decisions. So we did that. And then what, and what we decided is three to four times a year, we need to make that a regular occurrence where we have an executive offsite once a month, or I'm sorry, once a quarter or so, where we revisit two of the questions in the book. It's kind of about six questions. Two are like, okay, um, what's important now and who's going to do what? Mm -hmm. So we revisit those two questions and we always go back to the one before to go all the things that were important three to four months ago. Did we do them all? Yeah. And that's been super cool for our team to go look what was important four months ago. We just did all these things. We hired a children's pastor. We hired two more support staff. We moved our services. We've advertised this, the, you know, whatever. Um, so this tomorrow actually after service, so we're doing that and we're taking it kind of blown it up cause I have two new pastors to our team, um, that we were able to hire with just to necessitate the growth. So we've got two new pastors on the team within the last two months. So, um, we're going to Orlando for two and a half days. I put up, I budget money to take care of my team. So we brought you in this week yep. to pour into my team, to pour into my leaders, uh, this weekend, do service. And then we're going to go to Orlando and all the pastors and their spouses, this is our opportunity to really get to know each other because I think relationship is so important. So we're going to go have dinner at Hard Rock Cafe. Monday, we're going to spend all day at Disney together and we're paying for everybody to go. We're just going to have fun. And then Tuesday, we're going to have an all-day offsite talking about building funds, capital campaigns, future vision, what's important now, who's going to do what. Um, but we're going to do that on the back end of we just – totally crushed the Millennium Falcon Star Wars ride and, you know, went on this roller coaster nine times and had a great time laughing. And so we're paying, I mean, so we're paying for hotel rooms, we're paying for the Disney and, and it's a big chunk of money, but I would say at the pace we're moving and how, and how um, spread out everything is on our campus and our departments, we can't afford not to be together a few key strategic times a year. Uh, and that was one of the biggest budget changes I made is we moved a bunch of money into development to bring guys in and to take care of our team. Because again, I don't want to kill people where they all, they, they're like, I got the work done, but I hate everybody and I never want to do this again. So we have to be, I'm big on emotional health, sustainability, you know, Peter Scazzaro, all that. So again, dude, I'm just trying to apply the best of my ability what the smartest people are saying. Sermon prep. What does sermon prep look like? Everyone's, everyone's doing it. Everyone, right. Sunday's always here. Everybody wants to know. What do you, what's sermon prep look like for you? It's one of my favorite things about what we do because we have adopted what we call, I think we might've got this from Bayside in California or cause a couple of my staff members were there. It's a hybrid of what we've seen, but we call it the cupcake method where every message that hits the weekend has, has gotten the best input from our communicators and the best input from our creatives without requiring a ton of time. So we, we call it the cupcake method where there is a, uh, there's an ingredient meeting, the time of ingredients, then there's baking and then there's frosting. Okay, who's in those meetings? Great question. Like? So my ingredient meeting about a month before every series, we have an ingredient meeting where the communicators, the people who know the Bible, know theology, communicate. There's four to six of us come and we talk about, okay, what are the guts of this? These We're going to talk about, we're going to use this book. We're going to go through the book of James or we're going to do a series on faith. These are going to be our main points. Here's who's going to speak. So that's like the, the main points, the big picture, that's ingredient. The, then once we get the ingredients, the following week, three weeks before we have a, uh, we have a creative meeting where now I'm asking, depending on the series, and this is what I've learned from others, depending on the series depends on who I'm inviting into that. I don't have a creative team quote. Sometimes we have the young adult team in. Sometimes we have our resource people in. Sometimes we want to hear, I want to hear from one of our elder staff members about, hey, what's important as we talk about uh, legacy. And so then they go, here's what we're going to talk about. What are some thoughts? What are some stories? What are some videos? What are some songs? What are some, we create, we create that. So that, that goes into every service where we have ingredient and we have creative. Sermon prep on the weekly looks like me. I'm Wednesday. I'm offsite. Um, I take that ingredient which we already created a month ago. I have my, my, my parameters. And then I dig down, I find research, I dig, I, I look, read, listen, steal, beg, borrow, whatever. Um, and then, and then I come in and I put basically put together a rough draft somewhere in the middle version of my message. Then first thing Thursday morning, after we do our team huddle, which we still do our team huddle every week, by the way, it's just not as leadership intensive. Now we just remind them of one of our codes. We do our team huddle. And the first thing I have is our frosting meeting. 
Now my frosting meeting is with my other communicators. Now we've done the ingredients. I baked it. The, the sermon prep on Wednesday is baking. Now, okay, here's my message. I'm going to literally walk through it with them 45 minutes. Here's what I'm going to say. Da, 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 da. That's where they can now fine tune and go, what if you said it this way? What if it went like this? What if you actually, are you actually preaching that? Or are you just kind of walking? Nope, just, through I'm just walking, walking through it. Great through. question. Cause I walked through it, but here's my quote. Here's my key points. Um, that gives them opportunity to go, oh, there's this great quote by um, John Maxwell or Joyce Meyer wrote this in her book. You should put this in there. Um, did you think about the scripture in Corinthians? I'm like, oh man. And then it's like, okay. Or they can go, that's too much. It's too convoluted. It's it's not one point. It's not the me, we, you, me, you know, it's not all that. Um, so that's where we, we, and then I come out of that and then I give stuff to our resources. That's where we have some fill in the blanks in our scripture for our planner. Then I shoot it to our tech team. So that's Thursday. Then Friday in the afternoons, we do an actual run through where um, video announcements are already done. We don't have the worship team do it live, but we have everybody come on stage and run through it where if you're doing transition, you speak your transition on the back end of the video so we can run lights, we can run um, the transition. If you're doing offering, you walk through that. Then we run video announcements. Then I come out. Then I preach my message to four to six people. So I frosted it. So we ingredient it. We baked it. We frosted it. Then I preach it to them. Um, and that's where there's more fine tuning. You went five minutes over. You didn't need that story. Your on-ramp was too long. All that kind of input. And I should say this, I should have said this, probably one of the strengths of our culture is fearless feedback. And I lead that. I let them chop my stuff up. I, as the boss, I put my hat on the table and go, I'm not a guy who can fire you today. I'm a guy who's preaching it. And my philosophy is we owe it to our people for it to be the best. And if I'm doing something that's not making it that way and somebody has input that can, if I'm a good leader and I'm healthy and I'm secure, I want that input. And so they can chop it up. They can say things. Uh, and then we run through it and then we make any tweaks on the tech team. I'll preach with the screens and all that kind of stuff. Um, because we don't want that. Uh, the, the temptation is when you have multiple services is that first, first one to go, yeah, we'll get it right on the first one or it to be the run through or no filter Friday or the no filter four o'clock or whatever. And for us, we put ourselves in the shoes of somebody coming. Somebody's going to come to our four o'clock service on Saturday. Who's never been to church. And we owe it to them for it to be just as awesome as it will be at 1030 on Sunday. Yeah. So we put a ton of time into our weekend prep, but different people give different input along the way. So it's not saturating anybody. Um, and three of our, we say our three things are weekend, where we can experience community involvement, engagement, and, um, small groups. So I, it, it's expected that a lot of resources go into the weekend experience, kids and and adults. So that's kind of our process and it's working really well for us. And we really have a lot of fun with it. And, um, uh, again, we just say, we always say that none of us are as smart as all of us. And so it, it's a major collaborative. Um, and I think it's, it's made everybody better because as I, as the lead pastor, cause we, you and I both know communication is personal. Yeah. Like it's like, you talk about my message. You may as well be talking about my kids or my wife. Yeah. But for me to invite that, I think, and go, Hey, say what you want, chop it up. I want your input. And they to realize they can, that's kind of trickled through the organization. So they're doing that in their communication and in their leadership. And so we've just gotten better because of that. Yeah. So you mentioned the me, we, you, are you following that template or is it kind of a guideline? It's, it's a little bit of a guideline. To be honest, we, I take a little bit more, I'm more of a, I'm a more of a teacher. I, I definitely, we, I use it. Kerry Newhoff has some great stuff, uh, his 10 things. And so like what's your opening line. So we've kind of taken some things that are us, what's our opening line, what's you're going to, what's going to be your clothes. How does this connect to them? Um, my my style and teaching is is I I often I'll look at a text and I'll say okay what does it say context context I'm sorry content context application so what does it say what was happening in that day in Corinth what was happening what was the rabbinical system like what was the oppression of Rome like what was happening in Egypt at that time and then so it's I'll say what does it say what was going on there and then we ask the question what does this have to do with me and then again with the, all the collaboration. I have a highly creative team. Dude, we have a ton of fun. Fun is one of our core values. And we do so many creative things. Like we've built boxing rings. I've preached from, I came out as Rocky. I've come down from the ceiling in our Mission Impossible series. I mean, I Spider-Man and, and I just showed you the video where Spider-Man and Captain America brought my table and chair out for our Avengers thing. Like we just try to, we have, we one of the core things that we try to do is we want to always have this, you never know what's going to happen next. And, and we've been able to maintain that where people are just, they're always kind of leaning forward in their seat going, whether it's yeah. a joke or a video or somebody coming out of somewhere are people just now they just know that you have no idea what to expect. And I think that's a great communication thing that kind of always have people on their toes. Oh, for sure. So you're a man of slogans and one liners yeah. and things like that. So if you were to buy a billboard with a slogan to the world, what, what do you think that your slogan billboard would be up there? Personally? Leadership. Sure. Anything. I mean, they're asking me to pick one. Can I have like 10 billboards? You can. 
<laughs> okay, because that uh, that's like me asking you, like, which one's your favorite child? Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, not that a leadership slogan has as much value <laughs> as a, as a human being. Um, I think one of them. I, I'll, I'll give you a couple. First, um, these are all super simple, but I think one would be. Um, it's actually we put it on a shirt because of one of the sermons we did, but I would just be dude, be kind. Like just like, just be kind to people. Like you've known me for 12 years. I, the language I use is add value everywhere. Mm-hmm. My life's mission, whether I'm a lead pastor, a CEO, a coach, a teacher is I want to add value to everybody I ever encounter, even if it's just once. So I, I would say, you know, like the world would be a better place if we all would just take a minute to notice and, and add value. Um, I think again, leadership, if, if there was a leadership billboard that I could, it's it it it's that culture. I'd I would it would be I would quote Peter Drucker. Culture eats yep. strategy. Culture matters. Culture eats strategy for breakfast. Yep. Um, do the right thing is, is a big like. Just do the right thing. Um, go big red. Go big red. I'll go big red. I mean, I'd be wearing the shirt while I was holding the slogan. <laughs> um, and and I think another one and, and one of the things that I think our people in our church love because it's a reflective on our staff is um, have fun. Mm. We we might have one of the funnest churches in America. Yeah. And I, I would be so cool with that. Like, I'm probably never going to teach like Keller or Ortberg. I read yeah. their stuff. They're awesome. I may not ever have the, the biceps of Craig Rochelle, the teaching team of Andy Stanley, yeah. the podcast acumen of Kerry Newhoff. Yeah. But I, I just think so many people grew up most of their life that church was something that was endured. And I think it could be enjoyed yeah. without watering down the gospel or watering down the message. I mean, I teach, like I teach pretty deep stuff. You know me, I can, I can throw it down with some history and culture, but it's, I think it's in a really relevant way. And again, I went to college to be a teacher. I've always had a teaching gift. So I think that God leverages that. So yeah, yeah, the billboard question is so hard for me because I could never pick one. Yeah. Last question. So spiritual renewal, physical renewal, mental renewal, what brings renewal to you? Great question. Two or three things. Um, time with my family really energizes me. I really love, we only have one daughter, Madison. She's almost nine. I really enjoy time with my wife. I really enjoy time with my daughter and I really enjoy time when we're all together. So I'm home four or five nights a week, having dinner, playing games because I know I'm not going to get those years back with my daughter. Um, it may not always be that way, but it's important to me that we sit down and have a meal often that I cook, um, and that my phone's not on and we play mixtape or spot it or sorry, or, Nintendo Switch, Mario Kart, or whatever, um, that really energizes me. It lets me detach my brain from um, from ministry. Actually, cooking, part of the reason I cook is my dad had a restaurant. I enjoy cooking, and it, it, it lets me create something that's not mentally taxing like an organization. So I enjoy cooking. Um, we, I love, I love to travel. I'm an extrovert, so I love to meet new people. But honestly, man, what I've found in this season of my life, probably the most energizing, refreshing thing is playing golf with people I enjoy being with. When I'm golfing, there, there's it, it's one of my fun. It's one of the things I enjoy the most. As you know, I played many sports growing up, but I really enjoy golf, especially if it's like if you and I were to go golf or me and my youth pastor who are we're close and he's a golfer. I love playing golf with people I love being with. And so it's probably the most energizing thing. Um, and then I have a spiritual renewal. A um, couple days I have our friend Chris. We'll fly together at least once a year and just do a, a two-day prayer and strategy retreat. We play a little golf. Um, we pray a little, we share ideas. Um, I'm in a leadership cohort with some pastors once a month through ARC. Um, and, uh, and then, you know, I, I try to get away to at least one or two leadership conferences or even just, just get poured into. And then I have a couple mentors that I just, I regularly reach into and I go, Hey, I prayer, here's what's going on, spiritual mentorship. Um, so I, I believe in that big time. So I do the, the relational stuff, but also some of the, the spiritual stuff as well. That's great. Well, Corey, thank you so much for being with us. And uh, just just great being with you and your time. And so, uh, guys, look forward to talking with you guys pretty soon here on the next episode. Thanks, Ryan.